Hello, everybody. It's such a pleasure to have Sandra today with me. Sandra is a recurrent uh, guest in this podcast because she and I have such amazing conversations. And we have also La Chiquis as a guest <laughs> here, my cat. <laughs> Welcome, Sandra. It's so nice to have you here. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me again on, on your podcast. I'm so happy to have an opportunity to talk to you about things that interest both of us. So I think it's great. Thank you. Yeah, so we love to talk about uh, social justice, privilege. And even when we are both sexuality coaches, our kind of work is focused so much on uh, awakening the power in each one of us and it's so funny because when we think of power in the in the terminology of the coaching industry, it's like the coaching industry forgets the fact that power uh, empowerment has so much to do with social justice. Like we yeah. cannot just try to empower somebody and then forget the fact that our environment affects the way in which we move. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's why when you mentioned um, that you kind of stumbled on the issue of privilege and how it creeps up in, in all coaching work in, in you know, either in marketing or and stuff like that, I totally, you know, totally recognized, um, recognize that. And it's exactly as you say, it's kind of differentiating what's true transformation and true change individual, but at the same time, acknowledging, as you say, that you live in a particular context in a particular environment that unfortunately isn't equal for everyone. It doesn't, doesn't give the same message to everyone. Not everyone feels equal within that. And I think it's an important thing to think about um, within the work that we do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, totally. I think uh, we both have, if, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, we both have this, um, uh, very specific points of view because of our background. Uh, I am Mexican and being a Latina also with, uh, with Lebanese roots, I mm -hmm. kind of never belong anywhere. I, I never belonged really to the Mexican environment because people would stare at me like, you look different, your face looks different because I have these dark circles under my eyes that I love and I couldn't change, but that they could, they could kind of signal me every time I was in a, in a space. Um, then I went to schools of main, mostly white people and I didn't belong there either. I, they, they mocked me. I was pretty bullied in, in, in school because of my, of my physicality. Yeah, it was just weird for them. And not to, it's like, thank God for the Kardashians because they, they kind of made it more normal for people to be like kind of uh, like this mix with, with, with some um, big hips and big asses yeah. and, which is my kind of body but before them in the 90s I was like a, a treated literally like a freak show because I had yeah. a, a body that didn't fit with the kind of bodies that that the students in my in my high school had uh, I so Mexico is a place where you have both uh, both extremes very white people the white sequence yeah. that we call them now and you have uh, brown people, which is what mm -hmm. most people around the world knows us for. Uh, mm -hmm. But then there are some of us that don't really fit. There are some Asian Mexicans, there are some Afro Mexicans, there are some Lebanese Mexicans, and we don't really fit. And that 
that creates a whole different story of trying to find our place in the world. Mm. And then I would love to, for you to tell us, uh, to tell the people in here, what is it that, that is your background? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I live in Bosnia and Herzegovina. I'm, I'm from Bosnia and Herzegovina, which for people who don't know geography very well, and it's a small country, it's a small country in Southeast um, Europe. And I think from my perspective, even though, you know, I'm obviously very Westernized, I grew up in, in America as, as a child, I have a Western education, I'm, I'm a white European. Um, but in many ways, I, I feel a little bit like you that I don't really belong to quote unquote Western world. I don't consider myself a Westerner per se, um, even though, as I say, I've been educated, I'm, I'm a white European, I live in Europe. Um, so, so there is this aspect of, of kind of Western culture, American culture, that even though I grew up with it as an exposed to it, that I don't quite always feel comfortable in, so to speak, or, or I do feel a bit of an outsider in that context as well. Um, but otherwise, as you, I'm also a, a sex coach, a women's empowerment and men's coach, but then you and I kind of um, follow the same people and gravitate around the same things and kind of notice certain certain trends when it comes when it comes to these, these issues, yeah. Totally, totally. And that's what we wanted to talk about, this wheel of privilege. I, I, I recently posted an amazing work by, by um, Sylvia Dubworth, I think it's her name, I will check it out and add it in the comments, about the will of privilege. And that resonated so deeply with me because mm -hmm. I realized that one of the hardest aspects of even existing, but then even more trying to thrive in this, in this or any space is not acknowledging our privilege and how mobile it is, how mm. where we hold, where we are being um, in a disadvantage in regard to others, we are mm. also holding privilege over others. Mm. And that, that it's not a black or white thing, that it's a space that has mobility. And that in this mobility, we find that we are always in a space of supporting somebody else, but also need support from others because mm. there, there is a constant disadvantage that we're dealing mm. with yeah 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 i think we touched upon this in our last um podcast interview that it was totally spontaneous that we ended up talking about something completely different um and i read somewhere i can't remember where i read it but i like this kind of idea of, of privilege as the absence of obstacles mm -hmm. and you know from that perspective as you said, you know, all of us have certain degrees of privilege, whether, for instance, my privilege could be that I'm able-bodied, that I'm heterosexual, that I'm cisgendered, that I'm white, um, that I'm fluent in English. So all of these are positions of privilege that I have because I have certain abs absence of obstacles that someone else might might not have. And I know privilege is like a very trendy word currently because it's kind of used a lot and there's a lot of emotional charge over it. But I think, I think there is, um, and it's not about guilt tripping and it's not about being ashamed of who you are, but I think there needs to be, I, at least I feel in the sphere that you and I work in, which is around deep you know, personal development, I think there needs to be, you know, what I would invite other coaches is to have this more deeper sensitivity of where their privileges exist and how it interrelates to their marketing, to the kind of transmission and transformational work that, that they're showing. For instance, for me in particular, um, 
you know, all of us have these kind of, you know, transformation stories, you know, we were either shut down sexually, and then we worked on ourselves and or we had really bad relationships, and then we worked on it. And then we have this transformation. And this is the transmission that we have with our clients, which I think is a beautiful thing. It's a very powerful um, tool to share our personal stories and personal challenges that we have, because most of us, I think all of us became coaches and decided to do this work because we had certain issues of our own that we wanted to, to address. Um, but I think it's also important when talking about that is to also, if not openly mentioned, but be conscious of where the elements of privilege also helped in that transformational you know, process. So for instance, if we take the examples of relationships, obviously if you were, if you're in a relationship in which you don't have too much economic kind of tension, so, so both of you are working or, or you have relatively good jobs, um, you know, you, or you don't have children, for instance, so you don't have these stress factors within the relationship, of course, the dynamic and the quote unquote success of that relationship will be a bit different if you didn't have these, you know, or if you did have all of these factors. Or for instance, if, if someone's talking about how they started their own business, and you know how they started from zero to a certain amount of money after a certain period of time. I think that's, of course, there's a lot of personal work that goes into that. But at the same time, it's also, you know, you, it's not the same if, if someone has someone that helps them financially in the course of the, developing their business as someone who has to support other people or is, you know, wor uh, worrying about children or taking care of someone else and also starting their business. So it's not the same, same point. So I, I, I think that, you know, as me who consumes that, I sometimes feel a little you know, you get a sense of inadequacy, but some, if you're not really achieving what you're seeing, that there's something inherently wrong with you. And yes, there is this kind of transformation that you have to go do this work that you have to go to, but there's also some, some unrecognized privilege on the other side that actually contributed for this person to have the status or whatever it is that they have at that time. It, it always has to, at least a little bit. I mean, not, a lot of it is hard work. There's no doubt about it. But there is some 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 privilege, as I say. There has to be some absence of obstacles that enabled you to get there. I love that you speak about guilt. I think that is such an important point because yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the emotional charge of privilege. I think that yeah. uh, actually the thing that uh, triggered me to reach out to you and to invite you to have this conversation was that I heard a, a call. I heard a. a, a I don't know how to call it. It was it was a call uh, in in a, in a topic, a discussion, and the person in the call was speaking about not using the word privilege mm. because that was harmful. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. We need to use privilege. We just need to understand what it is, so as mm -hmm. not uh, and that it's not a guilt trip. But we cannot stop using it. We need to mm -hmm. actually become aware of it for the mental health of everybody involved. Not mm -hmm. to damage our mental health, but to support it. And in that, in that, what I mean is understanding that we all have different starting points make mm -hmm. such a difference. In, in how mm -hmm. we feel about ourselves and our achievements. Mm -hmm. Understanding mm -hmm. that uh, we are not starting the race from the first, for, from the same places, that some mm -hmm. people are starting the race and it's not even a race, well, the marathon, the, the whatever path mm -hmm. we are choosing because it's not a competition, but we are starting from different points, from mm -hmm. different experiences that have built us we have overcome different situations. And all that it means is that 
we have different achievements to celebrate for a person that mm-hmm. has that has uh, I, I don't know in in my case just my studies just the the thing of being able to study with Leila Martin was mm-hmm. a huge achievement for me because it mm-hmm. meant paying a quantity of money that I would have never paid like I think since college mm-hmm. uh, and I paid that in college in a longer period of time. So mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It, it meant an investment that I was not uh, familiar with. When mm-hmm. other people from the same community had already paid coaching packages for that amount of money before, that they mm-hmm. were familiar with that kind of investment. So the starting point is different. And, mm-hmm. and the acknowledgement of that gives you that sense of tranquility like okay it's not uh, because this, that is the thing with with marginalized identities we are also raised to think that our issues are our creation like mm-hmm. oh you are lazy you know Lat- latina women are and black women are lazy and they are not hardworking and they are not uh, ambitious and you know these idiotic ideas that uh, that white supremacy has put on our uh, or on the mind of uh, white people specifically mm-hmm. about the identities of those of us that are not white and that we have to struggle with when we are when we are working right i, I remember to 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 mention an example because you may think oh my god i have never thought about that when i see a black or a or a brown woman but mm-hmm. i have heard that literally and, and and specifically there was a point in which i was thinking about migrating to canada before i started studying i used to work 20 hours a day for my translation work sometimes when there was a lot of work it was a 20 hour journey daily Mm -hmm. uh, to get very small payments because it was tremendously underpaid and I remember thinking oh my gosh there must be a better way I would try migrating to I don't know Canada Canada seems like a good option and I know somebody there so I contacted this girl and I said, hey, how was it for you to migrate to Canada? Mm-hmm. And she said, no, you have to work to get things done mm-hmm. here. And I was like, mm-hmm. of course, I know. That's why I'm mm-hmm. contacting you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I worked mm-hmm. my ass real hard. Uh, but, but she was like, no, 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 no. Nothing is given and it's not a gift. And I'm like, Wow. what are you talking about but then again that is the very same ideology that has been promoted with migration all over the world like Mm. oh people it's coming for the freebies when immigrants work their asses real hard to get anything done it's like oh they are coming for the freebies they are coming to be sustained by the government so this idea of latina identities or black identities working very little wanting the freebies the government has been so harmful and it's something that is working against us when we're trying to get somewhere so for for me that is the importance of acknowledging privilege it's okay i i am marginalized in this stage in this in this part uh, 
even when I have the privilege of speaking this language with, with English, which is not the case of many of my, of, mm. of my co-nationals, like they don't. Mm. Uh, but we have to struggle with the privilege of not being born in a country mm -hmm. where people is paid uh, a more just uh, amount of money for their hard work. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I come from the same country because, you know, for you would have, I don't know, someone who, who of my professional st status, if I was living in the West, I would probably be earning two to three times more here. So it has nothing to do with my level of education. It has nothing to do with the amount of work that I put in. It's the fact that I live in a country that has, you know, a small GDP per capita that has a lot of other political issues that causes, you know, salaries to be low and, and, and all these things. And as you say, the only way, you know, so there's, there's only so much mind work that I can do within that content. Mm -hmm. And the objective factors, I can only change if I leave this country. That's my only alternative. I cannot change the economic situation in my country to make salaries better. Now, I can develop a coaching business where I can, where I can supplement my income and I can start earning. But still, even that, that trip, at least for me, I find that it's, you know, it's a bit more difficult to, to do that. And, and it's, as you say, you know, when, you, when you look at our space, and again, it's not about guilt tripping and it's not about... It, it's the way that marketing, you know, works. People want to buy what they see as being successful. So if they see very white, thin women in our case, you know, that, that, that are, you know, saying how wonderful relationships they have or sex or so forth and so on, people see that and say, yes, I want that click. And I have that, even though, uh, you know, it, it's, it's more than that. And obviously people that aren't thin, white, Western, and, and that don't, don't necessarily, um, you know, have a different path by which they can, they can, they can um, achieve that. And I think, I think it's just a recognition that, um, again, as I say, just, just noticing where, where the privilege is and just being mindful of it. And, you know, both you and I follow Kelly Deals, who has this amazing kind of programs where she, she, you know, says that a lot of the kind of very classic marketing messages go against people that are from disadvantaged or marginalized identities mm -hmm. because it makes them feel inadequate. It makes them feel as if something's wrong with them and that they don't have that level of success when in fact they have much more greater objective obstacles than people that, that aren't within their, these identities um, that aren't recognized with, within kind of, you know, where you, when you market affluence or when you market um, particularly economic, you know, uh, benefits that, that you have that are, again are great I think people deserve it if you've worked hard I'm happy for you but I think it's also acknowledging how that affects the quality of your life mm -hmm. the quality of your life isn't just your work on your belief system on your mindset on setting yourself goals and targets and working on your relationship working on yourself but it's also these other factors of which sometimes you don't really have an influence of where you live or what the color of your skin is or the type of body that you have or the age that you are uh, or whether or not you have an English with an accent or, or not. So I think these are very important, um, just things that, 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 that I would just urge coaches to be a bit more mindful of, that's all. And, and I'm, I'm mindful of my own self. I always double check anytime when I'm writing something to make sure that it's 
that it's not speaking from a place of, of that it's not speaking from a place of privilege. Basically, I don't know how else to explain it. So it's not coming from a place of 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 um, you know achievements that don't take into consideration this absence of obstacles that brought that achievement. Yeah. So I love that you mentioned that part because uh, that has been for me the biggest challenge. The idea that you have to pretend to be super successful. And we see influencers doing that in the in Instagram. Mm -hmm. I just learned that some people mm -hmm. uh, rent uh, houses in Airbnb <laughs> with a group, to, yeah. uh, super yeah. expensive houses in a group. And then they take pictures to get uh, to get to post like the high life, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I am super wealthy, look where I am yeah. staying. And they take pictures from amazing locations to get uh, rich husbands or to get more yeah. following. So yeah. we, we are doing that also in the coaching industry. Yeah. yeah. So for influencers to do that, I kind of get it because they are not really offering and I'm sorry, I'm sorry if you're an influencer listening to this and I hope that's not your case but so many influences are offering nothing more than mirrors right like just look at this I am amazing Woo. but but there is there is emptiness behind that mm -hmm. um, please if you're an influencer and you're listening to this you have the chance to offer depth try to do that also because that that is so important uh, to use our platforms for something greater than ourselves, that, that is important. But uh, the thing is the idea of, uh, of you know, showing off a way of living that can, that can uh, trick, trick people into thinking that they are super wealthy because that's mm. the way in which they are going to fit in. The problem is that coaches do that too not mm. not in the in the same way not not mm. they don't go and rent in a group a super expensive location but they show off about huge amounts of money and, and that, that, mm. that, that, that that's really one of the things that that angers me the most when i read a coach posting i got $50,000 in or whatever amount you want to say in from one sale or from two sales and I can I can avoid thinking okay but what's the change you're giving this person because mm. it's not about the amount you're charging them mm. it's about the value you're giving this person are you really giving these people the transformation? And then the answer is immediately like, yeah, of course I am a great coach because I am charging this much. So it's like they identify the capacity of the results they are offering with how much they are charging. So if they are charging uh, 10 times more the next time, because also the prices escalate in a ridiculous way. If they are mm. charging 10 times more the next time, it's understood that they are the best ones, that they are super mm. efficient, that they are, uh, that they are just on top on the industry. And I really wonder, dude, are you, mm. are you really mm. offering that depth? Are you mm. really offering 
those deep changes because I really think, and that is something I am deeply passionate about in my own practice, that we should be focused on the results, that we should be yeah. focused on, uh, and the results is not in my back, from my bank account. That that's not yeah. a result. That yeah. that is uh, that that is something that should be qualified in a whole different way because there is privilege involved. Uh, yeah. I think the results yeah. is the transformation that you are offering. Is it really profound and deep? Is people really feeling held, honor, seen, uh, or are they just a walking wallet for you? Mm, mm, are they mm. just a super high contract mm. or are they people that you honor and respect and that you fall in love with every time you work with them that you say oh my god my client is doing such a hard work she's developing so much uh, with mm. our work together she's committed she's you know for me that is what real success looks like so while I what I feel angry in general about is the dissonance because mm. I don't hear the people that are, I mean, not everybody, of course, I know that this is not applying for everybody and I am not, not mm. trying to insult everybody in the, in the coaching industry, but I am talking about like this general uh, energy of speaking about the money, but not mm. really being committed to the, to the people. And I think that mm. it should be first the people and then the money, then later, mm. much later, like you don't really need to brag about the many thousands that you're making. That is, mm. that, that should be your own journey with money, but mm. you should be more focused on the results and the people because that is what it's going to transcend. Yeah, 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 totally. And, and as we we're speaking about, I think it's also necessary to try not to, um, and I don't say, you know, they're, they're, I'm sure there are coaches who work from a place of integrity, but still just to, to kind of be mindful that you're not really, um, the people aren't making any sales choice from a, from a pace of vulnerability or insecurity or a sense of inadequacy, you know, that they're signing up to a program because they feel triggered that they're really not uh, good enough and that this program is going to, you know, fill the void of, of whatever it is that they're not good enough in. Um, to actually, as you say, market not the pain points, which is another thing that I always had problem with the kind of traditional marketing marketing system. But as you say, the values, the transformation, the container. So what it is in terms of quality that you're offering to your clients, rather than in, in terms of you know you're broken, and I have the solution to your brokenness. Now, how you define broken? There's a lot of privilege in that. <laughs> Because there's a lot of, you know, because because what makes you less broken is, yes, your transformational work, but it also has the fact that you had absence of certain obstacles that enabled you to come to this place in your life where you're able to, to kind of offer this or, or, or that you're marketing, basically, because oftentimes that's what coaches do. They market their lives. Oh, look how my achievement is in my relationships, in my sex life, in my business, in my personal life. You can have this if you sign up to my program. And I think mm -hmm. in essence, that's not a bad thing, but it has to be done very, I believe very, very, very cautiously. And you have to be very, and I would appreciate being transparent about your privileges, your absence of obstacles. So yeah, 
I made a successful business, but to be quite honest, my parents gave me a loan for the first two years of my business and I was able to, to live off of that. And I'm grateful, grateful for that. Or I had a partner in my life who, you know, helped me set up my business and we, we worked together as a business partner. And that also helped me a lot to do it. I didn't have any debt while I started my business or I had a lot of savings and that enabled me to start my business again with, you know, as was with relationships or, or with sex, you know, you know, a lot of the practices that we do, it requires intimacy, it requires time. And yes, it is about us carving out the time. But you know, in some circumstances, you just you just can't. So so it's not about, you know, setting very unrealistic standards that a lot of people can't obtain. And if they can't obtain it, then that means that there's something inherently, inherently wrong with them. I think that's, that's, that's the key, just to be a bit more mindful and transparent um, of it. And another thing that I also don't really like, I don't like the way in which, I mean, people mention who inspires them as coaches, but rarely ever, if you open someone's webpage, will you see, I learned this from this person. I learned this from that person. I taught mm -hmm. here and here, which for me, I mean, if you go to my webpage and there's a section down, the teachers that inspired me. So, uh, so there I'll be populating everyone that, that I've been helping me to kind of populate my way of thinking, my coaching practice, the methodologies that I use, because we build on each other. Because there's this kind of notion that kind of you're so unique <laughs> that you don't really have to reference all the teachers from which you, you, you learn from and then further developed your own methodologies based on your own experience or further research that you've done. Um, which I think Ooh, I just adds that. another dose of credibility. Yeah. Cause a lot of, again, another element within the kind of coaching is this sense of expertise or authority mm -hmm. that you're kind of this main authority and that you need all this money. Cause you're the main kind of, you know, person that, that should be done, done about this. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but, but I think it needs to be just done carefully. And I think it just needs to be done with um, a bit more mindfulness. And as you said, you know, this kind of consciousness, around the social issues that we're facing. So, you know, like, I won't go into specific examples, but for instance, you can't talk about, um, and you mentioned that, you know, it's not always your fault that something's happening within within a particular context. So, so for instance, you can't talk about um, a, re a relationship and say that it's up to women to be more clear and communicate around things that they need in the relationship, which is true. But at the same time, not acknowledging the fact that, for instance, emotional and domestic labor is something that women still fight with within the home. Women are still disproportionately burdened with domestic work, burdened with taking care of the children, burdened with the emotional work. And it's not about her ability to negotiate with her partner and have a good communication. It's the patriarchal system that makes this expectation that women need to take this burden. So it's not yeah. always about, so it's not just she has to work on herself, her partner has to work on his perceptions of what male female roles are. And then there's this wider socio, you know, social context that and, and in which domestic labor is a very real issue. I mean, in COVID, a lot of women have kind of went backwards in their careers because they were so burdened with, with you know, the, the husband literally locks himself in the room on his Zoom meetings all day and doesn't come out. And it's left to the women to, to cook, to clean, to take care of the show and do her own work. And, and research is shown across the board that women are just worn out. And, and it's because these disparities that we were able to hide a little bit became more obvious. And it's a real thing. So it's not in our heads. It's not because yeah. we don't communicate with our partners very well. It's a very real thing. And I think there needs to be at least a little bit of acknowledgement that that exists, that it's not just, as you say, it's a mind, it's not a mindset. It's not a mindset issue. 
Thank you. I think that is so important. So to, to put it in perspective, we just went from the, uh, uh, in the world of privilege, there are, mm. there are many areas. We spoke about the, the privilege of being born with money, uh, mm. which is uh, some of us are not, some of us are born with money and that is a privilege we need to acknowledge. And some people are really having a very hard time with it. So that, mm. that is one, part, one area of the privilege. Another area of the privilege is, of course, being a woman. <laughs> that, mm. that, that in many cultures, it means such a disadvantage because mm. the, the struggle for equality is not the same in every culture and in every, mm. and in every ethnicity and in every country. I was just watching yesterday a movie that really I, I adored, I really recommend it. It's called Moxie. And oh my gosh, it was amazing. It's a movie for teenagers. Uh, because it, it is, you know, a feminist movement in high school, which is such a mirror for the world. But there is this, this moment in which this girl from um, Asian, Asian um, roots uh, um, is not really into the movement in the same way than the Latina, Black and white women are. Uh, so the the girl, uh, the star of the movie, the white girl, uh, of course it's a white girl, right? But uh, the star of the movie uh, says, uh, but you're not interested. And, and the other girl says, of course I am. It's just that my struggle is different. I have to, do, my, my parents sacrificed so much for me to, to be able to make it here. So I cannot just act the same way you do because I would be misrespecting them if I do. So I need to do things my way. And that was for me so relevant because that awareness mm -hmm. of how each one of us fights our own uh, way into equality has to be recognized. And, how, mm -hmm. uh, and so I hear what you are saying about uh, how in the coaching industry, another one of the issues uh, is not just the let me show, let, let me show that I am an amazing coach because I am making a lot of money. Um, so uh, this other area is that we women also have to struggle with the, this other thing in coaching that is this super polarization where we are, there is this new fashion in our industry, specifically in the sex, love and relationship coaching industry, in which people over-polarize us, in which is taking us back mm. to the 50s. <laughs> it's taking us back to, mm. to mm. that stage in which women are meant to be just receiving and just magnetic and just uh, attracting mm. the male energy and we are wanting the male energy to direct us. And that is for me such an issue that, that really triggers my anger mm. because I was there. I really believed that shit for a mm. time in my life and what happened was that I was deeply disempowered in my life because I was mm. believing that shit. Mm. So that is a whole other issue that I really think we should discuss further, but it's so important to acknowledge yeah. that the women that are speaking about uh, how 
amazing their partners are uh, because they are so masculine and they can just rely on their feminine. They're being blessed with the privilege of having men with a very uh, developed kind of masculinity, maybe from a developed country mm. that has already done the, the uh, feminist work for a long time. So they are harvesting mm -hmm. the, the fruits of the hard work of many women before them. And they are enjoying the privilege of having a partner that is not violent and that, and that mm -hmm. they were not raised in a culture that is deeply manipulative and gaslighting women, uh, which is the case mm -hmm. of many Latina women. I know that in mm -hmm. my culture, I if you told a woman, you just need to set up your, your boundaries with your partner, I would say, I've been doing that for years and it's a never ending story mm. because you have to struggle with a freaking uh, story of machismo uh, uh, that, that is coming from generations before the men in, in my life. So it's not easy to just set your boundaries clearly and just speak to them and everything is going to be butterflies and rainbows. No, because we are still in the struggle to even be seen as women, not property. So that is such mm. a, it, it's such a different stage if you consider how, uh, I, I, and if you think of people that is even in, in countries where they struggle, it's harder in cultures where, where they are even some, some um, stages be, below Uh, when it comes to the fight for feminism, to, to for equality. Mm. Uh, the mm. truth is that the reality is very, very diverse. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as you're talking about that, yeah, because, I mean, for me, the moment someone says, as a woman, you should open yourself to be submissive to a man, I automatically get a very defensive response because in my family, women were, let, were you know, forced to uh, tolerate very abusive relationships because they had no power, no economic power, no ability to leave that relationship and knew that if they did leave that relationship, they would either end up dead, poor, destitute, dependent on relatives to, to provide for them and so, so on. So mm -hmm. as you say, I think I understand the kind of energetic uh, kind of story around that approach where it's around us women reclaiming our feminine energy you know, all of this, and that, that makes sense. But as you say, we unfortunately don't live in a world where we're still safe to be dependent on anyone. And, and as you say, if, if you've come to a point in your life where you can do that, great, that's amazing. But it's not just about, as you, it's not a natural model for everyone. And there's a reason why that can happen. And there's a reason why, for instance, I would never, would never put myself in a situation where I would financially depend on a man, even if that person was the most amazing, wonderful To me, because that, you know, that's a, for me, it's a risk that I mean, that I mean, being dependent on someone that I don't have agency over my life, that I don't have power over over what would happen to me if, if this relationship fell apart or if this man, you know, no longer provided for me. So, for instance, for me, that's no source of empowerment. I, I do not lean into my feminine if I allow a man to take care of me. On the other hand, I don't need to, you know, I don't want to be combative with my partner. I want this to be kind of like an equal you know, kind of equal relationship and that the, and my feminine energy can come, you know, come into expression. But I think, yeah, as you say, when, you know, what, it, from the point of view of, you know, kind of coaches, I just, 
as it can, just a kind of invitation, just to sit a little bit with your transmission and just understand the kind of wider context of what it means and contextualize it, you know, make it very clear. Yes, I have the, you know, as I say, privilege of meeting a very, uh, a man who was very enlightened, who works a lot on, on himself. So I feel safe leaning into my feminine, being more submissive, being taken care of. But I acknowledge the fact that not many women can do that for, because they don't have that situation. But here are some things that you can do to kind of, you know, within even that context, put in more feminine energy or whatever it is that, that, that you're mentioning, you know. Or for instance, another thing, you know, within our industry that I sometimes know, and again, it's not judging anyone, I'm, I'm happy for that. But, you know, of course, if you're very attractive and if you wear very revealing clothing on your Instagram feed and, and yes, that's sexually empowering. It is about, you know, celebrating the body. It is about that. But unfortunately, we don't live in a world in which people see it that way. So it's normal that that type of feeds, that type of images will get much more following, which will be much more people looking at it because it's very close, unfortunately, to the kind of stereotypical pornographic images that sell and people see. And, and again, I'm not judging. I think it's beautiful. I think it's empowering. But, you know, even like, like, you know, famous celebrities like Beyonce, Rihanna, I think are amazing, sexy, powerful women. But unfortunately, they perpetuate the image that you have to be sexualized, that you have to, you know, re wear revealing clothing to be a successful female musician, because you don't find other female musicians who aren't like that and who are equally as successful that that now when we have the full array of everything, then that is equally empowering as this over here. But if that's the norm, if that's the only way you can get attention, then it's not empowering, actually. It's feeding into this very negative patriarchal narrative of how a woman has to look and be to have the type of attention that is needed, which yeah. isn't, and doesn't come from an empowering space. There, there are two things that I really want to, to reply to this, which is uh, the first one, the, um, the feminine, the, the idea that the feminine is one way or the other, right? Like, oh, the feminine flows and the feminine, uh, you, you can rely on the feminine when you do this or the other. I, I think that we need to challenge that idea that the feminine is not necessarily what people is telling us it is, that mm -hmm. the feminine is wilder, that the feminine is not described in this little box that mm -hmm. society has created for us. Because they, they have designed such a box that makes the feminine to be attractive, fuckable, mm. uh, um, what's the word? Like, like just, um, ah, when you give up, uh, surrender, when you surrender. Mm. Uh, uh, and, the fem and magnetizing because we're always seducing things into existence. Mm. Mm. When in reality, the feminine is so much more than that. Yes, those yeah. are aspects of the feminine, but we are more complex than that. The feminine yeah. can be electric and wild and go for whatever she wants in life and can be fierce and can be mm. dominating and can be intense and can be, uh, you know, like dirty, <laughs> dirty yeah, messy, uh, messy yeah. and big yeah. and scary. And you, don't, mm. you don't need to, to fit into any box to be feminine. I mm. was personally, uh, and maybe that's the reason why I'm so passionate about this. I was brainwashed into that mindset for a long time. Mm. And I therefore chose not to work to allow my husband to be the provider because I was going to be just nurturing my children. And I did an amazing job nurturing my children. That's something mm. I don't regret in that area. 
but that mm-hmm. led me to be super vulnerable for for my husband to choose what to give me what not to give me how to treat me uh, you, you know that 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 mm-hmm. was a very unpleasant experience uh, mm-hmm. that was painful so i would never ever tell any woman to just surrender and let the male guide the way because i was mm-hmm. there i let my yeah. husband guide the way and the truth is that i didn't feel empowered i felt yeah. disempowered all the way yeah. because my yeah. way of being a woman includes my leadership i am a leader mm-hmm. i am a woman that likes to create to invent to move to motivate to... so just sitting in the back seat and, and then smiling for my husband and saying whatever you want honey mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. empowering for me it was yeah. the total opposite i, I yeah. lived it and that took a lot of healing uh yeah. to process And the other part is the, the bodies. I think that mm-hmm. uh, we need to embrace the beauty of different bodies, how attractive mm-hmm. a woman with a bigger, not so young body can be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also the fact that different cultures have different um, levels of, of uh, modesty. And that is mm-hmm. something we need to deal with, to embrace. Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, there are women still, I, I am supporting a woman that is going through something very intense because her culture is punishing her, puni- punishing her horribly for mm. some pictures that are not as, uh, you know, not as, not as modest, that are mm. sexy pictures. But really, like, uh, she, she suffered terrible punishment. And the truth is that that is a reality for many mm. women in many cultures. Mm. That, so we need to understand that uh, those women might want to thrive as coaches, as therapists, as models, as entrepreneurs or whatever they choose, but they don't fit in the, in the paradigm of young, beautiful woman that uh, is empowered because she's submissive to men and because she shows up uh, without clothes, which again, it's beautiful if you can show up mm. without clothes so that there's no criticism mm. yeah. there. But yeah. the, the, the thing is not every woman can do it. Some yeah. women yeah. can suffer terribly just because a, a little part of their body is visible. So uh, yeah. we yeah. need to embrace the fact that we have the privilege of being able yeah. to show up freely without being afraid of being punished by the people in our household or the people around us uh, because this woman wasn't even punished by her family she was punished by her co-workers so imagine yeah. the level of of fear that she was living with and The truth is that that is a reality that many women have to deal with. That is privilege. That, yeah. that, that, that is a privilege that we have to acknowledge. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, and I mean, yeah, obviously as, as an individual, you know, what, when we create our content, we can't do it. We can't take into consideration all the people of the world. So, so but I think it's also acknowledging that, you know, we function within a particular social space so for instance one of the things that came to mind that you know for instance in my culture divorced women are still scorned and looked down at so so anyone who talks about divorce and they're literally treated and, and thought of as whores really they, they are, I've had several uh, friends tell me that they've had these very horrific experiences since being divorced of being you know kind of 
very directly being uh, having sexual advances from people that, that they wouldn't expect ever. And, and it's because there's this culture that if you're a divorced woman, there's something morally loose about you. So obviously within that context, you know, it's different than in the West where divorce is considered normal basically, or, or, you know, a lot of people and not because marriages are more successful where I'm from. It's just that there's this for a long time, there's been this very deep social stigma around divorces and people would rather live in very unhappy marriages than they would divorce. So obviously within that context, obviously the, the, the whole story around divorce is different than it would be in a Western you know, culture. And the same thing about being a sex coach. I mean, maybe here, if I tell someone that I'm a sex coach, they might think that I'm a prostitute, a sex worker, who know, you know, <laughs> I have loose morals, that I'll sleep with everyone, you know, that I'm just having orgies 24 seven and so forth and so on, which is, you know, because our industry is a bit specific, but then obviously if you're, if you're somewhere else where people, where it's more normalized or where there's more mainstream kind of acceptance, obviously that that's a different, you, you function within a different set. And I think, for instance, I always appreciate coaches who just acknowledge that, just say, look, I am a heterosexual cisgendered. And that's what I'm trying to do, for instance, for my, whenever I'm speaking, I'm trying to say, I'm speaking from the perspective of a cisgendered heterosexual woman addressing cisgendered heterosexual man. So automatically, you know, that this is a transmission and message that relates to that group of people based on that lived experience, which I think is, is, is new, useful. And the same thing would be good for others to say, look, I grew up or I work in, you know, America or within a particular context when these things are considered normal. And mm -hmm. I'm speaking from this perspective, because here it's considered normal to, to, you know, talk about divorce or to have polyamorous relationships or to have open relationships. And there's nothing wrong with, so I, I think it's just because, you know, the internet, everyone can access to it. I think it's nice to just contextualize where you're coming from. Okay. Because otherwise, when you're listening in it to it, and if you don't really know, you, you have the sense that it's in a universal truth, mm -hmm. that it's something that has to be applicable to everyone, and it isn't, and, mm -hmm. and it can't be. And I think it's just, as coaches, we have a responsibility to recognize our context and acknowledge that context and our lived experiences and the specifics of our lived experiences and the privileges of our lived experiences. And that from this comes our content, our transmission, and the messages that we want to convey to others. Oh gosh, I love that so much. I remember when we were training, uh, my teacher who I, our teacher who I uh, love so deeply, she said, oh, when I tell people that I am a sexuality coach, I am the center of the party. Like everybody starts asking questions and I tell them, uh, and she said, you just need to do that to say you're a sex coach and people it's going to ask you questions. And that's how you yeah. start getting clients. Well, I tried that and I got yeah. the most uncomfortable reactions ever. Like there were crickets. Yeah. Like, what do you do? I'm a sexuality coach. Click, click, click. <laughs> that was one way of answering. And the yeah. other was whenever I left the room and people was alone with my husband, they would go, you're so lucky, man. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> this is not yeah. about my husband. This is about yeah. me. This yeah. is about empowering women. We our sexuality is not for men, right? So yeah. Uh, yeah. Th that was the first thing. Like, wow, you are so lucky. You can have sex with a sexuality coach. Yeah. So and then the people that sometimes contact me uh, from cultures that are not that westernized. Yeah. They get that idea that I am a prostitute and, and yeah. they are trying to get me to have sex with them. Like, like they send dick pics and I know yeah. they send them everywhere, but there is this energy around the asks that they, yes. that they are uh, 
sending me. They are asking me specifics. They are trying to get into having sex and even for free. Like if yeah. I, if it's like, dude, they are, yeah. they, uh, so, uh, there are that, the ways in which you can do that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, that, that's so relevant. The importance yeah. of acknowledging our culture. That's why I'll say I am a Mexican woman. Like I know I cannot hide it, but I, yeah. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Uh, and my vision comes from a woman that has gone through these life experiences also yeah. my age my uh, that I am not that young anymore that I have lived a lot of stuff that it's not just mm -hmm. the things that I think because I have a lot of time thinking about what is wrong with the world but the things that I have experienced and therefore yeah. I have had to process and I think all of that is important, as you say, to just come with the clarity of yeah. what is our privilege. That is something I would, I would really like to close with. Uh, yeah. How important it is to not take privilege as a guilt trip, but yeah. as a, sta a starting point where you know what is it that you are and that there is people that is far better and there is people that is far, far worse. And therefore, how can you support those that are having more trouble than you and not to suffer because those that have it easier are mm. having better in quotation results? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that's, that would be kind of what I would like to end with is just, as I said, just an invitation to fellow coaches just to, just to acknowledge it, really, just, just to be transparent about it. And, you know, we're all born in different contexts. Every, every context is, is important. No one should feel guilty because they are from born in the U.S. and they're thin and they're affluent and they're white and, and beautiful. None, none of these things are things to be ashamed of. They should be empowered and celebrated just like anyone else. Um, I think it's just, just a recognition of, yeah, again, awareness and consciousness of where your privilege is whether or not you're actually showing true transmission or you're showing your privilege and just mm -hmm. having an acknowledgement that and also being transparent about your context saying yes i am a white woman who lives in an environment that's very liberal and people this is normalized and then and i'm speaking from that lived experience from that context or i'm a mexican and i'm speaking from this context which is different or i'm from here and just just to kind of understand that it's not a, it's not universal our lived experience don't live in a bubble and it's universal to everyone. It comes from a very specific cultural, individual context. And I think people should just be transparent about that context. Totally. And well, one last thing is really an invitation for the coaches, uh, yeah. which is let's stop making it about how much money you can get. Yeah. And let's make it about how much you offer to people. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, we're going to turn the coaching industry into a pyramidal uh, kind yeah. of business into a scam and we don't want to do that we don't want people to enter the coaching industry because that is a be re, uh, make make you rich fast industry because mm -hmm. it's not uh, because people need suffering because they cannot find their way into the top of the pyramid that you are offering with your hundreds of millions that you're making or with the hundreds of thousands that you're making uh, let's make it about the results that you're offering and i know some business coaches have to talk about the money because that is the you know the their promise like come and work mm. with me because then you're going to make money but you know the thing that i love precisely about kelly deals 
is that mm. for me she's such an inspiring coach because she's not offering me to become rich but mm. because she's offering me how to transmit in a healthy way in mm. a way that feels aligned to my purpose in a way that feels connected to my social justice ideals and for mm. me that is more valuable than the offering yeah. of becoming rich in three yeah. months if I work with somebody yeah exactly exactly totally totally yeah yeah <laughs> thank you so much Sandra for joining this thank you for inviting me <laughs> so happy to always join your podcast i love it <laughs> uh, thank you see you soon guys please uh, before i forget i always forget this and this is important um uh, sandra how can they uh, can they reach out for you do you have an offer that you would like to to people to know Yeah, so currently I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching packages. Um, they can find out more information on my website, www.alchemycoaching.org, or they can find follow me on Instagram, um, Alchemy Coaching by Samra. Um, I'm still a business in development, so obviously not always the information is there, but please, you know, if you reach out through me through Instagram um, or sign up for my newsletter, I, you know, I respond directly to people who email me and I'd be more than happy to share more information about the work that I do and the coaching that I offer. Thank you. Beautiful. And well, I am offering also one-on-one -on -one coaching, but I am also offering a program called Bulb Alchemy. Uh, I will be telling you more about it soon, but the thing with Bulb Alchemy is that this is a conglomerate of my work, my Jadeg work, my social justice work, my feminist work, and uh, my self-transformation work. So I'm looking forward to tell you more about it soon. It sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.